This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Otis Barnett and Calvary Church in Inverness, Florida. For more information, please visit InvernessCalvary.com. Hallelujah. Well, we've been in a a series uh, named Called to Freedom, and today is going to be the final message in this series. And uh, some of you are going, wow, awesome, man, we can move on to other things. But there are a few of us who are like, I'm telling you, God has been doing some awesome things through this series called to Freedom. Um, uh, however, I, I do want to say this. Uh, maybe, maybe you're like me. Uh, you know that when, when God begins to release revelation to his people uh, in the area of freedom, in the area of, of genuinely uh, walking in victory over the enemy, how many of you know, how many of you maybe, you don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, did anybody else like me experience like it felt like, man, did I stir up a bee's nest or what? You know, I, you know, and the enemy tries to come against you, and, and, and he doesn't want us to walk in the principles that we've been learning. But as we've learned from the, the passages uh, that we've been studying, God wants us to walk in freedom. Galatians 5.13 says it this way. It says, that you, my brothers, for you, my brothers, were called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for sinful nature, worldliness, and selfishness. But through love, serve and seek the best for one another. Jesus has set an open door before us, church, and he is inviting us into a place called freedom. Freedom isn't something that you should do. It's not something that you ought to do. It's a place, a a place that Jesus is inviting you into, calling you by name. And and some of you, I just want to remind you of some of the key points from weeks ago. I would say to all of us as a church, Please, if you have missed several weeks, or maybe you haven't been here in a long time, and you're just coming back today, go online to InvernessCalvary.com and listen to this sermon series. It will bless you, it will empower you, and, and help you kind of understand where God is, is taking us in this area of freedom. You can go there, listen to it online, or you can uh, subscribe to our podcast there and, and get to listen to the message and, and download them to your iPod or our phone. So some of the key points from the last few weeks is this. Uh, demons are real. That's one thing that you have to understand is that we have a real enemy. It's an unseen enemy, but it, nevertheless, it is a very real uh, enemy mentioned 61 times alone in the Gospels, okay? So Jesus talked about it a lot. And we have to understand that we have an enemy who wants to come through any open doors in our life. And we talked, uh, one of the weeks we talked about the shield of faith and how that word shield in the Greek literally means door. Because the shield was shaped like a door, meant to completely protect uh, the, the, the soldier from the onslaught of the enemy, which is exactly what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that that shield of faith is able to quench every fiery dart. Not some of them, not most of them, every fiery dart. That's what the shield of faith was meant to do. But some of us, either we didn't know how to have faith in God in this area, and so, because Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if we've never been taught the word of God about how to have faith in God for victory, well, then we don't really have a shield of faith. We're not, we're just, we're just having open door. 
or we experience circumstances that we've gone through some things in our life and we actually laid that shield down and then that became an open door because we either grew weary or we were wounded or or, or, or some other thing kind of came along so we laid that that shield down well we know how important now it is that we're going to stand behind this shield of faith which is built on the word of god we learned uh, about closing the door of pride Remember that? That was a lot of fun. Pride talks about itself. It has to be seen and recognized. Pride interrupts. I'm still working on that one. Got to close the door of pride. How do we close it? We close it through standing in the mirror of God's presence, according to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we're changed into the image of the one that we behold. And we, we learned how to, to, to begin to close that door of pride, not only through standing in God's presence, but standing together with other brothers and sisters. Well, today, I, wanna, I want to, to give you a very, uh, very practical message called Closing the Door. This is going to give you some practicals about how to genuinely close the door on the enemy's attack on your life. I believe it's something that every believer needs to understand how to do. That all of us have, uh, have a, a, a sense that, man, God has saved me, but he hasn't just saved me so I can just be here and exist and be a punching bag for the enemy. No, I am saved so that I can be victorious and actually lead other people into freedom. So... I'm going to speak to you this message called Closing the Door. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. You're going to actually put a marker in Luke chapter 10 as well. Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. We're going to be referring to, to Matthew chapter 10 a lot. So you can go there or you can click there. Or if you don't have a Bible at all, you can uh, follow along on the screen. So we're going to talk about closing the door. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, says this, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of diseases, uh, all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. Let me read that again. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Skip down to verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, this is the commissioning of the 12 disciples. Now, we're going to look at this from a couple of different angles in the Scripture. But you need to understand that when Jesus commissioned the disciples, it was actually not only their commission, but it was ours. Because each one of us is called to be a disciple of Christ. So their commissioning is our commissioning. And we have to understand some things, some very practical things, if we want to know how to close the door on the enemy. And the very first thing that I want to share to you, share with you is this. Come to him. 
The very first way we close the door on the enemy is we come to him. Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 says, and when he called his 12 disciples to him. Do you see that? He called his 12 disciples to him. Listen, God's first call to humanity is a call to intimacy with him. God's first call to us as a church is a call to intimacy with him. Look at what Mark chapter 3 verse 13 in the way that it it sums up the sentence. It says, and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him. And then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. I want you to see this, that the first The first thing that all of us have to do in order to close the door on the enemy, which is addressed in both of these commissionings, is this. We have to come to him. It is a call to intimacy. Listen to these words from Mark chapter 3. He says, he called those he himself wanted. I tell you, I can hear the door slamming on the enemy right now for those in the room who don't know that God actually desires you. He desires you. He says he wants you. Most of us have a twisted perversion in our minds of the way God thinks about us. He actually wants you. He calls those he himself wants. Why? that they might be with him. He's calling us to intimacy. And the very first way we close the door on the enemy enemy is to answer the call to intimacy. Listen, before God gives us an assignment, he gives us an identity. And that identity is son. Before God gives us an assignment, he gives us an identity of son. And that applies to both men and women. Now listen, it is important that everything that we do in the kingdom, because this this message could quickly become about doing. But before we are to do anything in the kingdom, we're actually supposed to be something. We're going to be a son or a daughter of God. And the scriptures actually give a a, a dire warning. They give us a warning not to fall into the trap of doing, even when it comes to these supernatural realms. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Listen, you were never intended to do the work of the kingdom without an intimate relationship with the king. You are never intended to do the work of the kingdom without an intimate relationship with the king. And I have to bring this thought up. How in the world does a God whose name is truth, who knows all things, stand before all eternity and say there's something he doesn't know? How does this omniscient God, the all-knowing God, 
look his creation in the face and say, there's something I don't know. It's because intimacy is a choice. And you may know about God, but this passage says he needs to know about you. You say, well, he already knows me. Why don't you open up and share with him and become more intimate in your relationship with him and watch where the relationship goes. That as you begin to grow in your identity of that I am made for him, to be with him, that I will know him and he will know me, then you unlock the door to ever-increasing authority in his kingdom. But everything in the kingdom is connected to intimacy. So before we ever move on to something that we might do, we need to first close the door on doing instead of being. We come to him. The first way we close the door is we come to him. And he takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and places us into the kingdom of his dear son. The second thing that we have to do if we're going to close the door on the enemy is that we have to receive authority. We have to receive authority. Authority, And one thing I want to explain before I read this scripture is that uh, everything uh, in the kingdom is to be received from God. Uh, I, let, me, let, me, let me explain it this way. Uh, those of us who understand how we are saved, it is that we receive the free gift of God's grace through faith, through our belief, not of works, so that none of us can boast. So we receive a gift that God is offering. That's how we're saved. Did you know that that's actually how you receive authority in the kingdom? It's the exact same way. That God offers authority in his kingdom as a gift. But we have to receive it by faith. Luke chapter 10 verse 17 says something amazing. It says, then the 70 uh, returned with joy. Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You know what he's saying? He's saying, don't rejoice in the authority that you received. Rejoice because you came to me. Rejoice because you came to me. And I, I have to make this 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 declarative statement that is clearly drawn in the scripture. You and I are called to walk in victory over Satan. Let me try this. this crop. You and I are called to walk in victory over Satan. I mean, you should be a little more excited to know that you and I are called to walk in victory. That you did not get saved to become Satan's punching bag to endure it the 70, 80, or 90 years you're on this planet. You and I are called to walk in victory. He says here, I give you authority to trample. Trample. And these are not literal scorpions. Although if you see one, 
take care of it. He says, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You and I are meant to walk in victory over Satan. But we have to receive that authority. Uh, years ago, um, when I was first starting to even uh, have an opportunity to preach anywhere, I had an 11 by 14 legal pad. You know those big yellow legal pads? And I would write every word of my sermon down. Every single word, okay? Every word. Now, now, if you know anything about me now, I actually need to write down about three words and I can preach for about three hours, okay? That's the way I am. I actually write more notes so I say less. That's true. I'm, I'm going easy on you. Um, but I used to write out every single word. And I was in preparation uh, uh, and I was in a season of transition. God had told me to sell my house, that I was going to be in full-time ministry. I had no promise of full-time ministry. He says, sell your house. You're going into a season of transition. Exactly nine months later, we came here in the month of September of 2000, 16 years ago. It was nine months to the day of when God said, I'm putting you in a season of transition. Sell your house. My house sold in four days. There was a bidding war on it. I wish, I wish it just, you know, I'd heard the word of the Lord rent, you know, because it was, it was actually a house on the water and the real estate exploded, you know, after that. I was like, man, I could have sold it. Anyways, anyways, it's all, it's all under the blood now. Um, but I, I remember, I remember in one of those seasons of preparation, I was writing out every single word and the Lord spoke this so clearly to me. I remember writing it down. He said this, authority in my kingdom is chosen. And I didn't, I didn't have a framework for it. I didn't have an understanding for what that meant. I only wrote it down and I knew it was God. That authority was chosen. And then I read this story from Matthew chapter 8. It's about Jesus when he encountered a centurion. And it says this, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed. Listen, dreadfully tormented. That sounds, like, that sounds like demonic oppression. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. Listen to verse 9. For I also am a man under authority. Having soldier, soldiers under me, I say to this one, go and he goes. And to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those, who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah, that's us, the Gentiles. Thank God he's talking about us here. Verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. I want to call your attention to verse 9. He said, for I also am a man under authority. Notice what he didn't say. He did not say, I am a man in authority. We misunderstand what he is saying. He said, I am a man under authority. And since I am under authority, I can say to this one, come, and he comes. And I can say to this one, go, and he goes. 
His authority came because he was under authority. And you and I get authority in the kingdom because we humbly submit our lives to God and we get under his authority. Authority in the kingdom is chosen. And to the degree that we choose to walk in humble submission to our Lord is the degree of the authority that we will walk in as a believer. I'm not saying perfection. I'm just saying, the more you're submitted to him, the more authority you have in the spirit. Jesus put it this way. People would say, your words, they're, they're, they're amazing. And Jesus would say, I only say what I hear the Father saying. They would see the works and they would, they would exclaim, there's no works that have ever been done like this before. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. You know what he was saying? I'm under authority. Jesus was perfectly submitted to the Father. Therefore, his ministry was so impactful it continues today. And the scripture says it is a kingdom that will never end. And I want to say to you today, we receive authority by humbly submitting to God. We humbly submit to Him and we choose to walk under the authority of the Father. You and I can choose to receive the believer's authority through our humble submission to God's will for our life. Now, not only do we, we come to Him, not only do we receive authority, but we have to walk in authority. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. It says, these 12, listen to these words, Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. I, I just want to point this out. You, you could actually receive authority and never walk in authority. You actually have to do something. When the scripture says, go and heal the sick, you might have to pray for some sick people in order to do that. You can't just sit out there on Sunday morning, that's a good word, pastor, go pray for them. That is not walking in authority. That's just waving a hanky. No, we're called to walk in this authority. That, that we see this as a mandate. Jesus is sending us out. That we're being sent. You say, well, that's kind of awkward. You see the sniffles. You see the, the napkins. You see the itching eyes. You see a person who is suffering. How do you start that? I don't know. You say, wow, you look like you don't feel very good. Yeah, I feel awful. If you ask anybody who's sick about their sickness, they will talk about it. They really will. They'll open up. And then you say, well, can I pray for you? And most of the time they think that you, they, that you mean later. <laughs> they do. And so they always say yes. They always say yes. I dare you, just in that moment, just in that moment, don't, be, don't do the good Christian thing, walk away and forget to pray for them. Don't do that. Absolutely right there. No matter where you're at, if it's in a line, it doesn't matter. Just go, in Jesus' name, I ask. 
for you to heal this person. Just do it right there. You've got to walk in this authority. How do you cleanse lepers if you're not praying over people who have leprosy? How do you do these things unless you actually take that step of faith and actually walk in it? This is a commissioning of heaven. That we're to raise the dead and cast out demons. I know that that one makes you really uncomfortable, the thought of actually casting out a demon. It's actually not that big of a deal when you, when you do it biblically. Now I'm going to tell you a little story about that at the end of the sermon. So I want to give you some practicals about how do we use our authority how do we use a believer, the believer's authority? And this has a personal and a ministry application. And here's what that means. That means that you can take these points and use them on yourself. By the way, that's good. That when you take these and you don't think, oh yeah, I cannot wait to get around that demon-possessed person again. You're probably, hit rewind, we'll go back and listen to a message on pride, Okay. It's not the right thinking. It is that we first must become free so that we can freely give. We must receive the freedom. And so these principles have a personal application and a ministry application. God does want them to fl flow through you. So here's the first one. How do we use our authority? Uh, our, our authority? Number one, this would be our encouragement to others and our encouragement to ourselves. Stop surrendering to sin. That's the first one. Stop surrendering to sin. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says this, Therefore, putting, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27 says this, Nor give place to the devil. Listen, we have to stop giving the enemy ground. We have to stop giving the enemy ground. You say, we can really say no to sinning? Yes. Romans chapter 6 tells us that when we are in Christ Jesus, we are now no longer slaves to sin. I know it's not popular to hear. And the popular thing in church is to say, well, we're just all sinners and we excuse sin. But the scripture calls us, yes, we were sinners, but now I am a new creation. And now in Christ, I am a saint called by God to be a son, to expand the kingdom of our Father. We've got to stop making excuses for sin, the Bible says, nor give any place to the devil. The word place in, in the Greek is topos. You would, mean, uh, you would understand that in English as topography. It applies to a map. It's actual ground that we give and surrender to the enemy. So when we stop sinning, what do we do? We repent. We say, God, I'm turning from this sin. And in the common language of the day, all of our kids would understand this, we push delete. Why? Because God pushes delete. He says, I separated you from your sin as far as the east is from the west, and I cast it into this sea. I cannot remember it anymore, the sea of forgetfulness. I do not remember it. So we push delete, but many times that's what we do. We repent, we push delete, but then we go back and we rewrite it. 
instead of taking the next step, is absolutely declaring war on it. And saying, this ground was captured by the grace of God. And I will not resurrender it under any circumstances. We have to declare war on sin. We declare war on cancer. And when we find out that any person has cancer, we do radical things to get cancer out of the body. And I, I, I say to you that there is something more lethal than cancer. It is sin. It is that thing which will keep one separated from God for eternity. And we want to, keep, we want to declare war on it until it's eradicated, until we gain the victory. So that's the first encouragement that I give to people is we have to stop surrendering to sin. We don't want to give the ground to the enemy. Listen, Christ-like behavior is a warfare that God honors. Ephesians 4, if you look at the whole context uh, of Ephesians 4 there, it's all about how to behave as a Christian. But right in the middle of it, it says, and, but, and don't give any place to the devil. Here's what it's saying. When you walk as Christ walks, the devil loses his grip in those areas he used to possess you. Let me give you an example. Especially to those who maybe has been around um, uh, Pentecost or uh, charismatic congregations, and maybe you've seen good deliverance or bad deliverance, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I've been in, in uh, services where people try to deal with principalities and powers in the air. That would be something that maybe governs a community that everyone is under the oppression of. Let me, let me give you an example. It would be uh, as if this, this entire place was covered in greed. And it would be an overwhelming sense that everyone in this area, the majority, were greedy. I, I want to I explain to you that you do not move that, that spirit that governs the air of greed by shouting at that thing. Jesus never did that. Don't do it. By the way, that being has been around for a long time. Don't think of yourself more than you should. Stay humble. Listen. The way you move a spirit that's governing a region is you have believers get together who respond in an opposite spirit. If believers get together and they start becoming exceedingly generous, greed loses its grip and it has no place to stay. So it has to go. And you pray prayers like this, Lord, remove the greed. And the way that we're going to see greed removed is by being generous. And that applies to all kinds of ways, all kinds of areas. Christ-like behavior is powerful warfare. Make no mistake about it. When we respond in an opposite spirit, evil spirits lose the authority to reign in our life, in our homes, and in our communities. So we stop surrendering to sin. Second, we confront lies with truth. When, when Jesus was baptized, the, 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 the scripture says that the spirit came on him like a dove, not 
as not, not a dove. A dove did not come down on Jesus. The Spirit came on Jesus. He was baptized, immersed in God's Spirit. And then the Scripture says this in Luke, Luke chapter 4. It says, and then he was thrust, or <laughs> they have a very strong English word. It says led. In the Greek, it is ekbalo. It's the idea that almost that the Spirit of God picked him up and threw him into the desert. He was led there for 40 days of fasting and prayer in the desert. And at the end, he was hungry. And the devil came to tempt him in that moment. But in that moment, he used the one thing that all of us can use to confront lies. The word of God. In Luke chapter 4, in three different times, Jesus said this. It is written. In verse 3, in verse 8, he says, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. In verse 12, he says, it has been said. I, 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 want to, I want to encourage you with this today. God's word is the weapon we use to confront the enemy's lies. We have to confront lies with the truth. Many of us have been believing things about ourselves that just are not true. They may have been true about the person you used to be, but it's not about the new creation that you are. It's not who you are under God's grace. There is unlimited possibility for those who will believe God's truth. And notice this, the first thing that Satan comes against, he said, if you're the son of God, the very first thing he attacked when he came against Jesus was his identity. That's why it's more important for you to be than to do. It was impossible for him to be moved from that moment. Because he said, it is written. He confronted, he confronted the lies with the truth. That's why you'll have pastors standing week after week after week saying, please get into God's word. It's the only weapon that we use. Not the only one, but one, it's, it's God's word. It's the primary weapon that we use to confront the enemy. Ephesians 6.17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, the, the Word is a sword that you have to use to confront the enemy's lies in your life. And, and when somebody else is being tormented, your counsel may be comforting, but the Word of God is transforming. It is the word of God that brings transformation and that we confront the lies with. We confront it with truth. The third way that we walk in our authority is this. We walk in love. I love this. I absolutely love this. And most people, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, never think about love. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 says this. Love never fails. And I got, I got news for you. If I'm ever in a battle with an enemy who is older and smarter and wiser than me, then I want something that will never fail. Never fail. Love never, never fails. Have you ever been around a person who is, um, let me think of a good word to describe, uh, prickly? And like you even begin to think, Lord, 
you've just brought them into my life to be sandpaper. To knock the edges off of me. But if you're not careful, you'll label them as sandpaper. That they're never going to change. They're just supposed to be prickly sandpaper. You know what disarms that? Love. You know how often it fails? Never. Never. Well, that's hard. Well, toughen up a little bit. Christianity is not for sissies. It's not for sissies. Our example hung on a cross. And I'll give you this. He didn't only hang on the cross for us. He hung on the cross to show us how. We have to walk in love. Every time that I have ever been in a situation where I'm dealing with a demonic force who is tormenting somebody, every time we use love. And every time I have watched that spirit get completely bound by love. When you begin to love that person, call them by name. Even, no matter how tormented, no matter how the manifestations, it could be insane, like anything that you've, like maybe like nothing you've ever seen. Every time we love them well, that spirit gets bound. You know why? Love never fails. And if there is a spirit behind an attack on you, maybe you should even love yourself the way that God loves you. And if there's an attack coming against somebody else, the law can't fix it. But love never fails. And God's love sweeping into a person's life is a powerful, powerful tool. And that's the way you walk in authority. The fourth one that I'm going to give you today is very simple. It's use his name. Use his name. Say whose name? Jesus there is a, we can, you know, out in the public square, you can say God, but as soon as you say Jesus, you, people get uncomfortable, they start to squirm. Why? Because there's authority in that name. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 says, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us. In these very key words, in your name. They're not subject to us in our name. They are subject to us in your name. Uh, there was a time where, uh, before I was married, I had this great roommate. He's an awesome man of God. He, he's, uh, uh, right now he's writing Christian plays, and he uh, put on the, the, largest theatrical, uh, um, uh, the largest theatrical gathering that the, the city of Tampa has ever seen. Uh, awesome, awesome man of God. We were roommates before we got married. And uh, at the time, I was in retail management. And the very first store that I ran, every single person on my staff either got saved or rededicated their life to God. I was like, woohoo! Man, it was awesome. People, we were coming through, the, people come through the door, we would prophesy over people in the store. It was amazing. But have you ever had uh, God do something in one season and then you go to the next season and you think it's going to be the exact same thing and it wasn't that at all? So I went to the second store that I took over, and I thought, God's just going to do the same thing. Well, this is the place where God taught me how to pray. 
I was like, ooh, okay, some, some things are breaking through, but not everything, and this is a little bit tougher. And one of them, uh, I, uh, I had this employee, uh, and um, uh, just a great uh, little gal, uh, she was about four foot ten, little Puerto Rican Spitfire. I love my Latinos because I have a half Latino brother. Okay, so I have a half brother. He's he's Latino, so I love all of that culture. So here's this little Puerto Rican girl. She's a Spitfire. Now, I, when I would talk to her about Jesus, she already knew, but she loved compromise more than she wanted Jesus. But that didn't stop me from preaching. So I was, I was preaching and preaching to her, just kind of encouraging her and say, come on, you come to church. Come on, give your life to Christ. You know, I'm just really encouraging her all while we're working. Well, one night, uh, both my roommate and I were laying in bed and our doors were open and it was in the middle of the night and all of a sudden I wake up. And then I hear from the other room, Adi. I said, he goes, you awake? I said, yeah, I'm awake. I said, the Lord just woke me up. He goes, me too. And this is what he said. He said, man, something's about to happen. <laughs> and right then, our house phone rang. And we go to the phone, and it's the best friend of my coworker, this young lady. And she is freaking out. Uh, they had just, they, they had been at a club, and they'd been out partying and drinking, and a demon came and started to attack this girl who worked for me. And it's some serious manifestations. I won't go into all of them, but there were some very serious manifestations, right? And she's freaking out on the phone and said, you guys need to come over now. And the girl calling was a pastor's daughter. So the demon wasn't listening to her. Remember that thing about submission? She come out from under that authority. And so we came over there, and it was, it was everything that she had described. I, I, I saw this girl who was my employee who was normally just bright and warm and fuzzy, and then all of a sudden this, this, this thing was coming over her, and she, would, she was crying and weeping violently, and she said, I can hear the devil saying, if he puts me to sleep, he's going to kill me. Now she's wide awake talking to me like that, having that conversation, eyes roll back in the head, and she starts to slump over and lose consciousness. And so in that moment, I said, in the name of Jesus, just like that. And it's like, boom, and it's, it, she just kind of woke up, and she begins to cry again. And there was like this, there, this warfare it went on for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And we, were, we had a measure of freedom come, but not complete freedom. And then all of a sudden, the pastor's daughter uh, says, says I, I think I know what we need to do. We have to go to my parents because we've been lying to them. And they've been thinking one way about us, and we're actually another way. And I have to go and confess all of the stuff that I've been hiding. And I feel like if I will get this stuff dealt with, God will set my friend free. I said, let's go. So we load up in the car. It is literally, it's 2.30 in the morning when this starts. Now, at this point, it's about 4 a.m., and we're on the phone. And it turns out, you know, her parents are, are, are uh, Spanish pastors. I will never forget this moment. We're down there, and, and this, this girl who's my employee, who I am just seeing under the torment of the enemy, sitting downstairs, uh, you know, as we're just praying in the Spirit, and we're just trying to just keep this thing under control as this whole thing is unfolding. Watch this daughter go up. 
She goes upstairs. There's repentance. There's reconciliation. All the things that are in the dark, they come out in the light. And then I hear this. This is so great. One of the best moments of my life. In nombre de Jesus. Mom starts walking down the stairs. And she's like, in nombre de Jesus. In nombre de Jesus. And she's saying, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And here's this little girl. She's sitting there. And I won't go into all the details, but it was wild. And I wish I had a YouTube channel. I really do. But I, I mean, it was a long time ago. There was no YouTube. And it was, it was wild. There was everything that you could think that happened. But then all of a sudden, this thing in the name of Jesus broke off of her. I mean, broke. And there's freedom. It's like the whole atmosphere changed. She changed. The daughter changed. We're all just like, oh, wow. And mom looks up and says, would you all like some coffee? I'm like, okay. And I, I go and say coffee, you know, and I'm thinking, Okay, I need this. I need, I need the post-ministry update. What's going on here? Because I was not freaked out in all of the ministry time. I was freaked out that at 6 a.m. we're all sitting around like nothing happened. I'm like, I'm like, none of that bothered me. This bothers me. We're just sitting around drinking coffee. And I'm like, that was wild. Jesus just set you free. And by the way, you're still working today. You're not calling in sick. And I expect to see some increase. You're not carrying around all that stuff anymore. I got to tell you guys, there's power in the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus still sets people free. But the name of Jesus is not to be wielded apart from a relationship with God. You know, in Acts chapter 19, the scripture tells us that there were unusual miracles being worked in the hands of Paul, even so that handkerchiefs and aprons would go out from him, common things, that perhaps as, as he was making tents, he would wipe the sweat of his brow and send those pieces of cloth out. And the scripture says is that many people were healed and many people were delivered of demonic forces. And then it says, and it happened. And let me, let me read this to you. It says, it says, and it happened. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord, uh, on the name of the Lord Jesus, over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were sons, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and and prevailed. Listen, 
I want to say this to you. Those who bear his name can use his name. Those who bear his name can use his name. But those who do not bear his name do not use his name. Because it may not turn out so good for you. If you go home today without making Jesus the Lord of your life and you're dealing with something in that realm and you say, uh, get out in the name of Jesus whom Pastor Otis was preaching, it might be a bad day for you. You may be overcome and prevailed and be like these seven sons. Leave that encounter bleeding and naked. I want to say this to you. Acts 19 brings us right back to where we started. The first call is to be with him. And our authority comes out of our relationship with him. I love the quote here in Acts 19. It says, Jesus I know. And Paul I know. I want to say to you that you can walk so closely with God that your name is not just known in your neighborhood as a believer, but there could be some forces around you that say, don't mess with her. Don't mess with him. Why? Because they know him. They know him. And I want to encourage you today. Believers, if you bear his name, use his name. If you're facing something, say, in the name of Jesus. A friend's going through something, in the name of Jesus. You don't know how to get through a situation, in the name of Jesus. You feel tormented, you feel strife, you feel beat down in the name of Jesus. Because Philippians 2 says his name is powerful. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has the name above all names and every knee will bow. Whether it's named sicknesses, sicknesses will bow. Demons bow. Situations bow. Challenges bow. All to the mighty name of Jesus. If we're going to close doors of bondage and open doors to freedom to this community, it'll be in his name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like more information about the ongoing ministry of Calvary Church, please visit our website at InvernessCalvary.com.